what made me even think of that this morning I want to talk about the importance of relationships the importance of relationships and both within the context of our immediate families but also in the context of the body of Christ we are so much about the privilege and responsibility and opportunity and importance of relationships and I feel like you know I've been here enough um, with you guys that I really feel a close bond with this church and it's a privilege to always come back and uh, so we've got some history now Dr. Miyatake coming to Nigeria I feel like you guys are getting to know me now really because if you want to know me you got to know about Nigeria is this mic a little too close to me I'm getting a little echo up here are you okay back there is it, is it good raise it higher or no huh I'm fine. Good. Okay. Because I want you to make sure you hear me this morning, obviously. Um, anyway, I, I, I thought I'd share a few things that I learned about grandkids. Um, being a granddad, it's kind of fun. It really is. And uh, so I, I read in a, an email some things that grandchildren have said. And uh, I thought I'd share a few with you this morning. Um, this granddad says, um, my grandson was visiting one day when he asked, Granddad, do you know how you and God are alike? I mentally polished my halo while I asked, No, how are we alike? You're both old, he replied. <laughs> I don't know if my granddaughter has learned her colors yet, so I decided to, f- to kind of feel her out and, and help her learn her colors. So I would began asking her these different things and asking her what color it was. She would tell me, and always she was exactly right. And it was fun for me. So I continued. At last, she headed for the door and said sagely to me, this is a grandma saying, Grandma, I think you should try to figure out these things for yourself. (laughs) Oh, there's even some better ones. Let me show this one. When my grandson Billy and I entered our vacation cabin, we kept the lights off until we were inside, hoping that that we wouldn't attract pesky mosquitoes inside. Well, a few fireflies followed us in. Noticing them before I did, Billy whispered, It's no use, Grandpa. The mosquitoes are coming after us with their flashlights on. (laughs) When my grandson asked me how old I was, I teasingly replied, I'm not sure. Look at your underwear, Grandma. Mine says I'm four to six. (laughs) I love that one. Here's a good one. Children's logic. Give me a sentence about a public servant, said a teacher. The small boy wrote, The fireman came down the ladder pregnant. The teacher took the ladder aside to correct him. Don't you know what pregnant means, she asked. Sure, said the little boy confidently. It means carrying a child. So the fireman was carrying the child down the ladder. And of course, he was pregnant. (laughs) Well, not exactly. Anyway, children are great and grandchildren even more fun because you don't have to discipline them. You just get to spoil them. It's really true. It's really true. But I want to talk about relationships today. And the reason I want to talk about relationships is because I want to talk about a passage where one of my favorite verses about relationships is found, but it doesn't seem to fit the context. So we want to try to dig out the context a little bit and figure out what this passage means in its context. And I'm talking this morning about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is a passage and a story that's told in all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And I'm going to take a look at the Luke passage, but I'm going to allude to the other ones because there are details that are found in Matthew and, and Mark that aren't found in Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 this morning. This is one of those enigmatic passages that you think you understand and then you read it and you get a new insight. So I'm not going to share all the things that I've thought about, but guess what? I see in this there are... He's talking about... He's teaching us about wealth and riches. He's teaching us about salvation and discipleship. He's teaching us about relationships. So you're going to get three sermons in one today. I hope you're ready for that. Okay. What a privilege. to when the, when the pastor's gone, I get to preach three times to catch up on all those times I've missed. He's invited me so many times I haven't been able to take up on it. So there are three issues, and it's interesting. In this passage, I see the passage kind of carried together by, or held together by three questions that were asked. We have the disciples asking, a, well, first of all, the rich young ruler asking a question. Then we have the people who are watching this whole scenario and this conversation. They ask a question and probably included the disciples. And then Peter asks a question. Let's just read the passage together and kind of get the, the, the full view of the context. And then we'll kind of take it apart and see what the Lord wants to teach us this morning. I'm reading uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, 30 well, 30, yeah. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we've had to follow you. Implied, What do we get for that? I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. The title of my sermon this morning is, The Richest People on Earth and in Heaven. And here's the point I want to make to you, and I hope you take something away this morning. I don't want you to forget the sermon. You can forget me, but I don't want you to forget this sermon. And here's the main point. In the Bible, true riches are spiritual, not material. And a truly rich person is one who has received by faith the gift of eternal life and enjoys the blessings of relationships that last forever. Let me read it again. In the Bible, true riches are spiritual, not material. We, we all understand that. And a truly rich person is one who has received by faith the gift of eternal life or salvation and enjoys this side of heaven and in heaven 
the blessing of relationships that last forever. So there are three questions we want to discern and talk about this morning in this passage. And the first one is the question of the rich young ruler that is asked as he comes to Jesus. Now I want to just kind of figure out who this guy is. It says he was a ruler. Okay? It says he was young. It says he was very wealthy. In every way, the man had status in his world. He may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. We don't know that. Usually it was older men that were part of that. But the fact was he had some area of rulership that was a part of his life. He was very, very wealthy. And he was undoubtedly respected and honored in that culture. You see, that culture had this view of wealth. They believed that if you were wealthy, it was a sign of God's blessing. And so therefore, you must have been a spiritual person. Now, Jesus, in different ways, is going to show how wrong that that is in his teaching. And, in fact, there's a false teaching that's going on in the world today, and especially in places like where I was in Nigeria, which we call the prosperity gospel, which has the same kind of idea. That as children of the king, because our God is wealthy and prosperous, he owns everything, that if we're faithful to him, he's almost obligated to make us prosperous. And people are giving huge sums of money based upon the preaching of people who are saying, if you'll give generously to God, he'll give you back tenfold. And it's the best investment scheme you've ever heard. But guess what? They're trying to claim that as a biblical teaching, and it's not. And that's a whole other subject. The fact was, in that culture, this man was considered Blessed by God because he had wealth. Another thing that interests me about this man, we don't know his name, was that he actively pursued Jesus. He ran, one of the texts says. He got down on his knees. Here's a rich ruler, highly respected and honored, gets on his knees before Jesus. To me, that's pretty significant. This guy was really seeking some answers. And we'll try to figure out why. We're not told. We have to kind of read between the lines. But he did seek Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He got down on his knees. He didn't send his servant. He calls Jesus a good teacher. He gives honor to Jesus. What was it that drew him to Jesus? Undoubtedly, he had heard about the teaching of Jesus. And by the way, this is near the end of Jesus' ministry. He's in Perea on his way, eventually, for his last trip up to Jerusalem for the, the Passion Week. So he's known about Jesus, and it was his opportunity to, to get some information, learn about what Jesus would say in answer to his question. He must have considered Jesus a, a, a rabbi that had answers. But based on the conversation, it's interesting to me that this guy seems to already have the answer to his question. And yet, maybe he wasn't exactly sure that his answer was correct. Because he sincerely wanted to hear what Jesus said in answer to his question. Maybe he wanted to be affirmed. Maybe he wanted Jesus to say, you know, you're just such a good man. You've got it made. Just hang in there. Well done. We don't know. We don't know. Let me just say this about our culture. 
people are inquisitive of truth. The problem is we live in a world and in a society and in a culture where truth is relative. Your truth is your truth. Go for it. We're rewriting history. What really grabs you, you can take as far as you want to go with it. Spirituality is in. Be spiritual. That's good. Just don't tell me your spirituality has to be mine. Because then you become a bigoted dogmatist. And I don't want to hear that. That's bad. But the fact is, people who are pursuing religion and spirituality, I've got to believe at times they begin to wonder, is this really the truth? If I'm really honest with my intellect, mutually exclusive truth, truth is mutually exclusive, and you can't have two truths that are both opposite and yet both be true. It never works in science. It doesn't work in any other business. How could it work in spiritual things? And so people sometimes come to church, they want to hear what we have to say. Because in their heart of hearts, they're a little bit wondering, is my spirituality right or is it the best? This man wanted to know what Jesus' answer was to his question. And I've got to believe that he had some question of whether his way of doing spirituality was right. Well... Notice the dialogue. He asked Jesus this profound question, and in fact, it's a question that every one of us has to ask ourselves. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's some inherent incorrectness even in the question, but the question of eternal life is the question all of us must ask. Jesus, in his answer to this man, addresses, first of all, What he says, Jesus was a good teacher. He addresses the issue, only God is good. Does that imply that this man did really not recognize who Jesus was? Could be. Because the only way we receive eternal life is to come to acknowledge who Jesus is. And once we acknowledge that he truly is the divine Savior who offers to us what we could never earn, then we're on the road to really receiving that true eternal life which comes by grace, not works. So, this man perhaps had an issue that was, Christ was addressing right up front by saying, Only God is good. Do you realize that I am the Son of God? But then the very interesting, Jesus says to him, You know the commandments. And then he lists some of the Ten Commandments. And how does this man respond? This... This is amazing. Let me first of all talk about the Ten Commandments that he lists. He lists murder. That's number seven. He lists adultery. That's number eight of the Ten Commandments. He lists stealing. That's number nine. He lists false witness. That's number five. He lists honor father and mother. Sorry, that's number nine is false witness. Number five is honor father and mother. And then Mark adds defrauding, which is similar to coveting, which is number ten. And Matthew adds, love your neighbor as yourself. So basically, there's an allusion or a direct reference to every one of the last five commandments. And if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, the first ten are all about our relationship to God. The second uh, second five, I'm sorry, are all about our relationship to man. And so he says, okay, you ought to treat people in, in, in a certain way as reflective of the commands of God. And the man said, I've done that since I was a 
a child. He said, in relational things that reflect true spirituality, I'm blameless. Now, again, was this guy just proud and arrogant and egotistical? Or was he genuinely sincere that he had really tried? And he felt in his own mind that he was doing right. The fact that Jesus, it says, loved him and really felt a heart for this guy, I kind of believe there might have been some real sincerity there. You can be sincere and sincerely wrong, and this guy proved, proved to be that way. But we've got to give credit where credit is due. He came to the right person for the answer, and he seemed to be sincere. The sad thing is, and it says at the end of this experience that it was a very sad situation, he turned away from the, the truth and the person that gave him the truth. So I think we've got to be careful about motives when people come to us. Sometimes we have a, a tendency to judge people. I know his lifestyle. I know where he hangs out. He's no candidate for the kingdom. And if he comes and asks me about it, I'm going to preach at him and I'll make sure he repents. Jesus didn't deal with this guy that way. He drew him along and he will address his issue very directly, yes, but in a very loving way. And I think, again... People are confused, and confused people don't always dot the I's and cross the T's like we'd like them, but we've got to draw them as best we can to the truth. And Jesus was trying to do that. I really believe that. The fact was, this man claimed something that was not true. How do we know that? The Bible is very clear that God gave his law, the Ten Commandments, five and five, All those laws were ultimately for one purpose, to show people they needed salvation and they didn't have it. They couldn't meet God's standard. There's no way they could establish establish themselves as holy before God. Uh, Romans 3 is so very clear on this. In Romans 3, 19 and 20, Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth rich young ruler or anybody else may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his, God's sight, by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So, in this man's deceived state, the law had become to him a justification that he sought to be the basis of his salvation. And that's sad. That's sad. Because if we are honest with ourselves, all of us, whether it be in our addressing God in our lives, whether it be in making God truly no other God before him, all of us fall short of that. All of us have times where something or someone gets ahead of God in our lives. And we realize, we come back to the reality that only God is Lord. Only He is worthy of our full uh, commitment and love. And in our relationships with each other, we are selfish by nature and we sin. And if we're honest with our true heart motives, we know we have failed in those areas. And it draws us back to the cross, back to forgiveness and atonement and salvation that salvation provides us as believers. So we could easily drop the law on the guy and say, you're a sinner, man, get, get right with this. But Jesus doesn't do that. I love the way Jesus addresses it. He says, you know, this guy's deceived. I could just preach at him right now. 
But you know what? As the Son of God, I know what his real issue is. I'm going to address that and see how he responds. Now, Jesus knew everything, and maybe he knew how this man was going to respond. And we, 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 we want to put that part of it a little bit aside and say, how did he address the issue? He knew that, in fact, this man had a heart issue problem. And until he recognized that, he would never be able to put the law where it ought to be, address Jesus for who he is, and come to the, the answer to his question in finding salvation by faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus says, he doesn't condemn me, he just says, you lack one more thing. One more thing. And what does he ask of this man? Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. This man hadn't said anything about his wealth. This man hadn't said anything about material things. And Jesus knew his issue. And he said, you want eternal life? Well, you can get eternal life and everything that goes with it. But you just got to do one thing. You ask, what must you do? All right, I'll tell you. Sell everything. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, have you ever witnessed to someone and told them, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you can get saved? <laughs> How many of you have used that in your gospel presentations? <laughs> Anybody ever done that? (laughs) You see, we know that you can't do anything to be saved. But we also know that until we acknowledge who Jesus really is, as both our Savior and our Lord, we're missing out on the true spiritual benefit of knowing Him. And so Jesus is speaking to this man's issue by nailing the issue and asking him to do this. Because he knew that really this man had broken the very first commandment. Because what happens when the man's response is to turn away and go, and it says because he was very rich, this man did not have no other gods before him. He did not have no idols, which is the second commandment. He needed to acknowledge his need He needed to acknowledge the fact that he had broken God's law. Jesus was making it very clear that salvation is not something you do. It's something that your heart attitude reflects. It's by faith, by putting the Lord first, that you could ever make a step of selling everything you have and all the securities of your life and put it aside and say, I follow Jesus and I'm going to just trust Jesus. You see, salvation is all about trusting Jesus and no one else and nothing else. We claim to be saved because we've been born again. We pray to prayer. We've been baptized. We belong to Living Hope Bible Church. But we can sit in this church every, every Sunday and be just like the rich young ruler. On the outside, we're doing the right things. But our heart is truly not where it ought to be in terms of totally trusting God because some of us may be asked to do something very extravagant. And some of you have done that. Some of you have done that. When Carol and I decided to go to the mission field, I, had a, I was an associate professor at Moody Bible Institute. I had the perfect job. 
I mean, there are thousands of guys that would have given anything to have that job, who have been through doctoral programs or whatever. And we left all of that and went and raised our support, gave up that good salary and that nice house we had and left and went to Africa. And people said, what are you doing? How could you do something like that? And I, sorry to put myself as an example, but I mean, Moody Monthly wrote an a, a, a article about people who did extravagant things and leaving professions and I, they used me as an illustration. But guess what? I want you to know, and I'm getting ahead of my story, this passage is so true. I'm still a supported missionary, but I've got wealth in relationships around the world that I'm going to enjoy for the rest of my life and all eternity. I wouldn't. You couldn't buy those. You couldn't buy those. You see, it's all a matter of value. This man, he had lots of things that he thought were so valuable that he couldn't give them up. And they were the source of his trust, the source of his security, the source of the pleasures of his life. It was what he had to have to live. And Jesus said, get rid of it. There's something better. There's a greater value in this world and you can have it. And he turned away and said, no, I don't really, I can't believe that or I won't accept that. All of us come to places in our lives where we have to face up to what really is the most valuable thing. And we talk a good talk, folks, but when it comes to really giving up what, if we really were honest, we really are trusting, it's hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. God may not call us to extravagant gifts, but are we willing? Extravagant decisions that people don't understand, but in fact reflect that He is Lord and not our things. Or the people that we, we love so well. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus already had a relationship with this man from eternity past. He loved him. He wanted him to be his own, but he would not force him. And the man turned away. This man could not only have come to know Jesus at that point, but he could have become a disciple. And only certain people got the privilege of being those that followed Jesus. Now, whether he would become one of the twelve or not, I can't say that for sure. But he had the opportunity to truly start following Jesus and really learn what it was all about. He gave it all up. And we say, man, the guy missed it. But I wonder if that happened in our world. How many of us? Jesus walked in today and said, Okay, look, I'm looking for a band of really committed people. Take your bank account tomorrow morning, cash in everything, send it to the the, the missions that you know, and come and follow me, and you're going to really be blessed. How many of us would take the challenge? And we're already Christians. And again... Please understand, this is one of the most generous churches around. And when you guys raised that money for that building, I mean, it was incredible. So I, I, maybe I'm talking to the choir here, but we need to ask ourselves the hard question. What are we really about? What drives our lives? What are we committed to more than anything else? What is our source of security? And this man failed the test and he lost salvation in the process. He never had it. We are saved people. It ought to be a little easier for us. But we struggle with the same dynamics. I really believe it. I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. I don't, I don't know the names of all the people, but there was a, 
a town in a valley many years ago. And there were two well-known people in this small town. One's name was Duke because he was the wealthiest guy around and everybody looked up to him because he was a rich man. The other man's name, his nickname was Honest John. John was a Christian. John didn't have much of this world's goods, but he always loved to give testimony to the Lord, has provided his needs. Thank you, Lord, for providing my needs. He'd always give that testimony whenever he had the opportunity. But old Duke, with all this money, would loved, he loved to make fun of his friend, John. He really wasn't a close friend, but he would always comment, Well, John, how is your father treating you today? My father is meeting all my needs, he would say, and give praise to the Lord. That's how John would respond. One day, Duke proudly asked John why he didn't have more of the world's goods if his father was so rich as he claimed. John's reply was, his father was supplying all his needs. And in fact, he would say, my treasures are in heaven. And Duke would just laugh and walk away. John would often try to seek to witness to Duke, and Duke would have nothing of it, and would always turn it into an opportunity to be sarcastic towards this very poor man. One day, John didn't look very happy, and so Duke jumped on the opportunity and said, What's the matter, John? Isn't your father treating you so well today? John hesitated before he answered. He said, Duke, I feel I ought to tell you this. Last night, I dreamed, and I dreamed that tonight at midnight, the richest man in our town is going to die. Duke only laughed, because he didn't believe in dreams anyway, or their effect that way. But, you know, he started thinking, and it really began to get into his head that maybe he better go to the doctor and find out if everything's okay. So he went to the doctor to get a checkup and the doctor did some tests and said oh you're fine in fact you might even live to be a hundred man and he felt really good about that so he got an idea you know this 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 guy honest john is so off the wall why don't we i want you to come over we're gonna have a little party at my house tonight he said to the doctor and we're going to just celebrate how foolish this idea of a dream and he totally had told the doctor about the dream is so that evening he had a party they played cards and drank and laughed the evening away. Soon it was midnight and the clock struck the hour. Boom, boom, boom. And it beat out the twelfth tune and Duke said to the doctor, Ha ha, see, that dream wasn't true. Then the Duke remembered that his clock was actually fast, so they waited for the town clock to go off. And again, at the twelfth beat, they broke out in laughter, concluding that John didn't know what he was talking about. The doctor left Duke's about 12.30 and Duke went to bed and slept well, got up the next morning, but he was woken by a knock at the door. Upon answering, a little boy handed him a message. On the paper were these words, Old Honest John passed away at midnight last night. His dream had been true. In fact, the richest man in town had died and gone to enjoy his riches. When we die, when we leave this world, what are people going to remember about us? What are they going to say about what we valued? Nobody's going to read your bank statement. But guess what? The way you've used the money in your bank may speak volumes about your commitments. There may be missionaries who will write letters and say, you know, 
this brother or this sister was one of my most faithful supporters and I praise God for his or her life. Our values, our commitments, our security is spoken about in many, many different ways. Jesus was so right when he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of these things happen. These are securities. These are values that are bigger than anything in this world. And we can use, as Scripture tells us, unrighteous mammon to accomplish eternal purposes. Amazing. Amazing. This man did not understand. The rich young ruler failed the test. The rich young ruler turned away from the answer to his question that he could abandon what he was trusting and trust Jesus and receive not only eternal life now, but riches forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm glad to say that in this very context, other people did respond in an appropriate way. Have you ever noticed in chapter 19 the story of Zacchaeus? Here is a man who was very wealthy. He was the chief tax collector. And when it came to relationships, he didn't have none because... I should say any. I'm a good English teacher here. He didn't have any. Why? Because he was a tax collector. He got his money in ways that made people hate him. And one day he wanted to see Jesus. And as being a short man and the crowds around, he got up in the tree. That was a very unsophisticated thing for anybody to do, but he did it. Because he too wanted to see Jesus. And as he walks by, Jesus says to him, Buddy, I want a relationship with you. I'm going to your I must go to your house tonight. Me? Can you imagine how he must have responded? And Jesus went to his house. This man believed in Jesus. And what did he do? Without even being asked. He turns around and says, I'm going to sell, I'm going to give half my money to the poor. And anybody I've cheated, I'm going to pay him back four times. You see what a difference? He understood who Jesus was and without even being told, he was ready to give everything for the cause of the kingdom. And he did it joyfully. It wasn't out of compulsion whatsoever. You see, sometimes giving and spiritual things, it's like we've got to generate the energy to do it. We really don't want to do it. If we really get a glimpse of who Jesus is and we begin to love him for who he is, there's not enough we can do for him. That's what we're here for. Kingdom business, whatever it looks like for each of us. And I assure you, God has a very specific way where he wants you to be vitally involved in building his kingdom. It may not be through your wealth. It may not be through your finances. It may be through the giving of your life or empowering your children to go to the mission field. And I know many of you have done that and are doing that. I don't know what that looks like for you. Sometimes the Lord asks for an extravagant, extravagant gift. Dr. Andrew P. Stirrup is one of the most famous names in SIM history. SIM is our mission. I want to tell you his story. He was a, a medical doctor. He first of all went into pharmacy. And God prospered him. He had two pharmacy pharmacies. He had... He owned the buildings where the pharmacies were, and upstairs were apartments, and he rented those out. This was back in the 1930s. Dr. Stirrett was very well-to-do as a young man. He was in his late 30s. He read a tract, or a piece of literature, came from SIM, called A Plea for the Central Sudan. 
Now, we used to be the Sudan Interior Mission. Back in the days of our mission beginning, the Sudan was the area of sub-Saharan Africa, Central Africa, where no missionaries had penetrated, really. The Gospels had reached the coastlands on the east and west of Africa, but nobody had really been able to penetrate into the interior. So it was, we were called to be the Sudan Interior Mission. The China Inland Mission started not long before our mission. The African Inland Mission started on East Africa. We started on West Africa. Again, the idea of penetrating the hinterland, the inland, uh, central parts of these continents. He read this and it so powerfully affected him that he just decided to apply to be a missionary. And he wrote to SIM and said, please, would you, would you accept me? Well, back in those days, I'm so thankful it's not this way anymore. Because he was 37, no mission boards would take anybody that old. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. If you're 37, you're prime age. I'm ready to sign you up, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm, by the way, one of my jobs is recruitment, so I have to get that in. <laughs> Some of you wonder what we're talking about. The fact was, they delayed. He's too old. He's too old. Well, Dr. Stewart was convinced of the call of God in his life. Absolutely. And so... He waited and waited, didn't hear anything. He says, okay, Sudan Interior Mission, I've sold my pharmacies and I'm sending you all of the money, the, the deeds for these, and all the money. I've sold all my stocks and bonds. I'm sending them to you and I'm going to England to get prepared to go to Africa as a missionary. And he did all this without even being accepted by the mission. So how does he get to Europe? How did he go, in Liverpool, England, there's a... A place that's still there today where you study tropical medicines. And most of our doctors who are going to Africa go there and study. Okay. He gets on, he's from Canada, he gets on a cattle car and works as a cattle hand to get his way over to Europe. I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't spend his money on a, on a nice transport over. And they would stay in the caboose on those cattle trains going to the coast, going to St. John's, Newfoundland. And it was so full, he gets on, they have to stay on top of the cattle cars in the cold weather. He's, he's shivering up there three days out to Newfoundland, then gets on this cattle freighter and goes over to England, gets to England, and he takes that tropical medicine, still hasn't heard from the mission, writes and says, I finished tropical medicine, I'm going to Africa. And let me know if I've accepted when I get down there. <laughs> he went to Africa. Finally, they accepted him as a probationary. He was on probation. For 30 years, this man had the most incredible ministry in Africa and Nigeria. He is still revered by the people whom he served. Here was a man who extravagantly demonstrated not only his faith, but his commitment to the Lordship of Christ. That's what this message is about. It's about more than just wealth. It's all about true value. Something worth living for because it has eternal value. And it's all about the relationships that come as a result. Let me just conclude with my favorite passage. Let's look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, in answer to Peter's question, what do you get out of it? By the way, let me just say, when Jesus says about rich people, how easy it is for rich people to trust things and it's more... Difficult. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's one of those statements that's so famous that Jesus made. The fact is, I want to emphasize what Jesus said. When 
Those who heard said, who can be saved? Because we believe the rich are the most spiritual. Jesus said, with God, anything is possible. Salvation is only by the grace of God for anybody. All of us are so lost in our sin and so trusting everything other than God for our well-being. It's a miracle when anybody comes to realize they can't trust themselves. They can't trust their wealth. They can't trust anything they can do. They can only trust Jesus. That is a miracle. To truly trust Jesus. So he's saying that's a miracle of God. And every one of us have experienced that who know him today. The fact was, Jesus ended with this promise. He said, you know what? If you really have followed me and really made a commitment to me and really are committed to my kingdom purposes, you have a family that's bigger than you can imagine. And in fact, the Mark passage says... You'll receive a hundred times more than you gave up. And he mentions relationships. He mentions wife and brothers and parents and children. And I've and, and got to tell you, folks, it's true. It's absolutely true. And here's the proof of it. This is some of my family in Nigeria. If I had never left Moody Bible Institute and never gone to Nigeria... I would have never known these people, let alone love them and be loved by them like I am. These are some of my students who are now pastors. These are the elders of the church that I belong to in Nigeria that prays for me every Sunday. They prayed for me about eight hours ago. So anything that God is doing in this message is because of their prayers, I assure you. It's a privilege to be a part of the family of God and to be able to cultivate those relationships this side of heaven and enjoy them forever. That's what it's all about so what is this message about today it's about you can have eternal life but you can't earn it you can follow Jesus in extravagant commitment and experience being used and blessed by God in ways you can't imagine and these relationships that we have as those who have made that commitment are relationships that we must cultivate because they're going to last forever This church is strongly relational, I know that. And you need to be the kind of people that embrace others who come and visit. That's part of cultivating that which lasts forever. And as you send people from your church to the mission field, they are extending the relationships of this church out into those parts of the world. And someday, some of you may go meet those people. And some of them may come and visit you. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. I love this passage. And I love these truths. And I pray that as a result of what I've shared this morning, you will appreciate as well the things that Jesus was teaching us. Remember what I said at the beginning. True riches are truly spiritual, not material. A truly rich person is one who has received by faith the gift of eternal salvation. And now, this side of heaven enjoys the blessings of relationships that last forever. May God help us to be people who truly understand what's of true value in this world. Thank you.